1: Friday edition Pro Football Talk Live. Peter King, Mike Florio here with you for another hour. The draft will be here before we know it. We get so caught up in free agency. It's six weeks away or so before we get to the draft. Maybe seven. I don't know. But it's going to be here quickly. And, you know, Peter, one of the things that uh, is always going to be the major talking point, the quarterbacks, the new crop of quarterbacks, especially because so many of the young quarterbacks seem to be working out now than they used to. Isn't that odd? I mean, it used to be a true flip of the coin. No country for old men style flip of the coin, whether or not your quarterback is good or ends up being a dud. It really does seem like it's it's a much safer proposition now than it used to be.
2: Well, I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, college quarterbacks right now are playing a game that is much closer to the NFL game than they used to play. That's one. I think the second thing, um, and this is more abstract, really, but Andy Dalton actually told me about this, I don't know, six or eight years ago. And the more I talk to people, the more I absolutely believe them. It's the rise of seven-on-seven football in the offseason. And, and it used to be, Mike, that, when football season was over, other than lifting weights, players didn't play football in the offseason. And now you see, where was Cam Newton when he got shredded by that kid? He was at a seven-on-seven tournament uh, somewhere. And and this this is what more and more young quarterbacks are doing now than they ever have before. They play these seven-on-seven tournaments all over the country, so it gives guys a lot more of a chance to work on a lot of the routes that they're going to have to use in college football and maybe in pro football, and it allows them to play for 10 or 12 weeks in the spring and summer instead of just saying, well, no football season, guess I'll go play baseball.
1: Zach Wilson from BYU. Chris Sims has him as the top quarterback prospect to the surprise and and uh, not delight of many who are convinced Trevor Lawrence is the top guy you spoke recently with Wilson he talked about another former BYU quarterback Steve Young here's Zach Wilson
0: you think with Steve Young how everything was so smooth in his career when it's not (laughs) and I think that's what's interesting about mine as well is is I wasn't a big recruit Um, I didn't have a lot of offers I went to BYU as like just a normal three-star recruit um nothing special and nobody expected me to play early and you know i ended up uh having a chance to play as a freshman um you know something that i had to work for but there was nine quarterbacks in the quarterback room at the time and then wow you know even now i was i was nobody um uh, last year you know and i was fighting for my starting job back after my sophomore year of having shoulder surgery and things you know things didn't go as well as we wanted to and the coaches opened up a competition to try and Earn the starting spot back and so I was I was so determined to try and you know win that job back and, and prove that it was mine
1: you compared him last hour to Joe Burrow in that what a difference a year makes and what a difference that that extra year made for Zach Wilson played a lot of games last year unlike plenty of college programs the competition level wasn't wasn't at the same Level We saw from a Trevor Lawrence and Sims and I talked about that earlier in the week and and uh, there's different ways you can look at it. But that's the reality and that's part of the projection that teams are going to have to make this year. Can Wilson perform the way he did against a lesser level of college defense than what he's going to see in the NFL didn't hurt Patrick Mahomes. He was able to step up and Wilson could too. That's just that's just part of the challenge of scouting. But you know, I agree with a lot of what Sim says about the guy. I mean, when you watch his highlights, he does just jump off the off the screen and he can do a lot of the things that we've gotten used to seeing from a guy like uh, Patrick Mahomes in recent years.
2: Mike, I think there's a couple of things about Zach Wilson that people probably should know. One is that you know a year ago at this time, as we talked about uh, briefly in the first hour that that uh, he was not not only was he not guaranteed. Uh, the starting job this year or anything he he was he was in a three man competition for the starting job a year ago as covid began to wreak havoc on the off seasons of college football teams so what he did is he took the first 7 weeks of everybody's exile uh you, you know from organized programs and went to southern california and trained with his quarterback tutor john beck you know while staying enrolled at BYU cuz there were no you know in person workouts or whatever and then in the spring and summer after everybody started to go back and things were calming down a bit he ended up driving 10 hours each way on six or seven weekends between May and late July to work more with Beck this guy ha- is is really driven to be a really good player. And I think the second thing is, if you look at the ball he throws, okay, so he's like 6'2 a half, two ten. 210. He's not a big guy, and he is going to have to get thicker, as Chris Sims says. But if you look at some of the throws he made last year, John Beck would always teach him, and he would use this cliche, he said, you don't want to throw the ball to your receiver. You want to be able to throw the ball through your receiver. And if you look at the toughest game he played all year, Coastal Carolina, at Coastal Carolina, and people will laugh at that, but Coastal Carolina was really good last year. They were a a legitimate team last year. He made some throws in that game that any quarterback in the NFL would love to have as much arm as he had in that game. So look, Chris really stepped out on a limb in saying he's better than Trevor Lawrence right now. But I can tell you, Mike, I've talked to two coaches in the NFL who are very much... who do not laugh at Chris Sims. I can tell you that. Who really, really like Zach Wilson. And that's why I think there could be a second part of this draft. Okay? I just don't think there's any way that Jacksonville does not take Trevor Lawrence. I I just... I I don't see it. But... I do think that that creates almost a second first overall pick because I do think that everybody is just going to say, okay, Lawrence is gone. Now who's getting Zach Wilson? And my feeling is that is where we might see Caroline at number eight, Denver at number nine, maybe, maybe. And again, we'll see there's, you know, whatever, 55 days before the draft, we have to wait and see. But to me, I think we might have a sort of a second first overall pick and and so many people trying to go get that second pick with Joe Douglas of the New York Jets.
1: I still am fascinated, though, by the possibility as Zach Wilson gets more and more buzz. And I love a story of a guy who became determined to get the absolute most out of his abilities and how many times do we see that being the common denominator for a high levels of success in football? A guy who just decided I'm going to put everything I have into this and get the absolute most out of what I can do. But at some point, does Trent Baalke, the GM of the Jaguars, say, "Hey, hey, 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 Urban, uh, Coach Meyer, come over here. Take take a look at take a look at some of these plays that i have You know, a lot of a lot of people really like this. Are are we sure?" And and you're not doing the job right if you don't constantly ask yourself. You have to constantly ask yourself: Are you sure? Are you sure? And all it takes is one time to say: Maybe we're not sure.
2: Well, Mike, in that you know to that point, I'll tell you two things. Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator of the Jaguars, uh, called uh, John Beck recently and had an extended conversation with Beck. About uh, Zach Wilson uh, was very bullish on in fact that coastal Carolina tape uh, that I talked about a minute ago and here 's the other interesting thing: teams get to spend no more than five zoom sessions with any prospect. The Jacksonville Jaguars have already had two zoom sessions with Zach Wilson now. I don't want that to, you know, I don't want you to say, whoa, what does that mean? Because they've also had two with Justin Fields. And they've had, I'm sure, at least that many uh, with Trevor Lawrence. I, I still think, Mike, it's highly, highly doubtful that they don't pick Trevor Lawrence.
1: The, the, but, but as the star of Zach Wilson rises and... You know, Urban Meyer is still getting used to the reality that there is someone over him. He found that out the hard way three weeks ago with the Chris Doyle misadventures. But when you got the guy with the handlebar mustache who can come in anytime he wants and start asking questions and you can't just tell him, please leave because he runs the show and owns the team, you don't want, you don't want, <laughs> you want, you want to be sure you've done all your homework and you can make a good case as to why you did what you did in the event that for some reason Trevor Lawrence doesn't work out and Zach Wilson becomes a superstar. and Chances are both are going to work out. That's the thing about, as you said earlier, quarterbacks so much more prepared for life in the NFL than they used to be. But uh, it, it has to at least give the Jaguars something to seriously think about. And if nothing else, it makes them more resolved. That Lawrence is their guy but uh, you know that's what teams do this time of year they constantly think and rethink and rethink and rethink and there's a lot of CYA that goes on before you make that pick
2: there is Mike and and look you know the fact is there's a very good chance Trevor Lawrence is going to have a great NFL career and I think there's a very good chance that Zach Wilson could have one too and so I think you just have to look at all of your situation all around. And Trevor Lawrence does have one thing that Zach Wilson doesn't. And that is a lot of big game experience. Zach Wilson doesn't have that. You know, he, he played some big games in his first two years at Brigham Young, but he didn't play anywhere near the schedule of Trevor Lawrence. And what did Trevor Lawrence go? 34 and 2 in, in his college football career? So, you know, to me, I don't think, and look, I I have tremendous respect for Chris Sims because he's been right so often about quarterbacks in the last few years. But that's not to say that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be really good in the NFL because his track record is certainly far and away the best of anybody entering the draft this year at quarterback.
1: And, and Sims fully acknowledges that. I mean, I think in Sims' mind, both guys are going to be great. He just believes that Wilson has a skill set that that has comparisons at the highest of levels in the current NFL and maybe in NFL history when you talk about an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes. Now, Wilson mentioned in the clip we played earlier that he had shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. On his throwing shoulder, Trevor Lawrence is recovering from shoulder surgery on his non-throwing shoulder. He said this week he feels way better than he expected after that surgery. And, you know, when it first happened, I think it was Ian Rappaport that said, it's going to take five to six months to recover. He'll be good to go by training camp. And I started doing the math. It's like, well, if it takes six months, he's not going to be good to go by training camp. So there's at least a question there. And to the extent there's an off-season program, if he's not able to participate in it, that that's it's not a huge concern. But it's still something that, that you just have to look at and prepare for as you get this guy ready for his first season. But all indications are Lawrence will be ready for week one. The question is, how much preparation will he be able to engage in at the highest of levels because of that surgery? But again, he said he feels better than expected. The challenge, though, is don't push it. Stay within the guidelines of what the doctors and the physical therapists tell you, because if you go at it too hard, what happens? You screw something up.
2: And and look, you can look at uh, Trevor Lawrence right there in those photos, and look and see some of the things that he's already doing with his left arm uh, and that left shoulder, and and you just assume from those. And obviously, it's not gonna. They're not gonna put those out if 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 he is wincing in pain <laughs> while he does that pull down that that uh, you know every gym has. But when you look at those photos, the other thing you say is, that is a big dude right there.
1: <laughs> that's, a, yes. that's a big yes. <laughs> guy right there who's going to
2: who's gonna be able to see over a lot of offensive guards in his NFL career. So, hey, I think everybody believes that you draft Trevor Lawrence, you're drafting an Andrew Luck type player who's going to be good for a long time in the NFL.
1: Peter, by the way, the rehab process has come a long way in the last 38 years. We were talking yesterday about the Terry Bradshaw minor elbow surgery from 1983. <laughs> Here he is soaking it in, soaking it in, <laughs> Mister Bubbles.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, and, man, and, and you that's know that's just crazy. The, the the article from the UPI. I remember the UPI was the authority when I was a kid reading, you know, uh, the newspaper, but. The UPI article saying that Terry Bradshaw had the surgery under the name Thomas Brady and it was minor. And the doctor was saying, how you know oh, this is no big deal. He threw eight more passes in his NFL career and then he was done. maybe they should have used something other than Mr. Bubbles in the in the tub in the in the facility <laughs> to get that elbow where it needed to be. Um the Jets, as you said earlier, it's like two number one overall picks. So even though the Jets didn't end up with the first first overall pick, they had the second first overall pick and there was a report a few weeks back that they were going to decide what to do with Sam Darnold after they know what they think of the incoming quarterback class well apparently Peter they've come to the conclusion that they like their options because Joe Douglas this week addressing the question of whether he'll talk to anyone who may call about Sam Darnold the third overall pick in 2018 here's Douglas
3: I I will answer the call um you know if, if it's made, and so um you know, as, as it pertains to Sam, I mean, I, like I said, Sam, Sam's a, we think a dynamic player in this league um, with unbelievable talent and who's really, really um, has a chance to, to really hit his outstanding potential moving forward. But, um, you know, like, like I said earlier, um, if calls are made, I, I will, I will answer him.
1: Uh, I said this yesterday, you know, it's not quite the same as taking a for sale sign and uh, and a mallet and banging it into the yard, but it's pretty damn close. And I think there are teams out there interested in Sam Darnold. And because the Jets essentially control the board post Trevor Lawrence, they, they don't need to be coy about it. I think that you try to move Darnold at a time when maximum teams are trying to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. Once teams start making their plans, your market for Darnold may dry up, Peter. You know, here's the
2: way Joe Douglas, I'm sure, is thinking of this. The market uh, for that second pick in the draft, I think minimum, minimum, would be the eighth or ninth pick, depending on whether Denver or Carolina would want to come up, for that eighth or ninth pick, plus a one next year, plus a two, either this year or next year. Now, just imagine if the New York Jets did that, Mike. And imagine if they were sitting there. Let's say they would trade with Carolina. That would leave them with the eighth pick this year, the 23rd pick this year, two twos, and then next year, uh, three ones in the draft. And so to me, that is one of these things when you start thinking about it and you start thinking about how significant and the, and the wheels that are turning right now in Joe Douglas's brain where he is looking at a roster that needs to be overhauled, okay? And if you like Sam Darnold well enough, if you do, then you could build around Sam Darnold for one more year. And let's say, Mike, at the end of this year, you don't like what you see. Then you've got three ones next year, potentially. uh, Or if if you were to take one of the extra ones next year you would have either two or three ones next year in which to solve your quarterback problem and think about it this way if if darnold doesn't work out and the jets stink this year they're going to have another top 10 pick next year so it's not going to be out of the realm of possibility that the jets could just put off the sam darnold decision for one year and have a lot of first round picks to eventually get the quarterback they want.
1: Two things to remember about that, though: May third is the deadline for exercising the fifth-year option on 2018 first-round picks, and this is the first time that that fifth-year option becomes fully guaranteed when exercised, not just in injury guaranteed. That's so why you don't do it. That you're, by, you're but but you're so you're but 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 then you you then you you're kicking the can with Darnold into free agency like the Bears did with Mitchell Trubisky, yes. if you don't pick up the option. So you're giving him one more year, and if you like and him, the Bears then you got to figure out how to, to sign that. him. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I'm saying if you're the Jets and you're thinking, all right, we'll trade out of the number two spot, we won't get Zach Wilson, we'll keep Sam Darnold, and we won't pick up the option, and let's see how he does. Oh, he was great. Now we got to use the franchise tag to keep him around, or we got to sign him do a much bigger deal than we would have had to. It's just a factor to consider. And, and Sims, this gets back to his belief in Zach Wilson. He is a firm believer that the Jets should sprint to the podium with Zach Wilson's name on a card and trade Sam Darnold and do it, you know, just clear the book. Sam Darnold, see you later. We love you. We tried. You know, they gave up three second round picks to go from six to three to get him three years ago. They're trying to find their next Joe Namath. That's the question. I think we've seen enough of Sam Darnold to know he's not going to be a short-list, true franchise quarterback at any point in his career. But Zach Wilson could be. And I think if I'm the Jets, if I'm ownership of that team, and if I've been trying to to sell PSLs and tickets and suites, and they're always lagging behind the Giants in that market, this is their chance to go all in with a guy that, that could be great. And uh, I, I just... You know, you, you, they've they, they floated and they've floundered, and it's been 50 years. I, I, just, I think that, that uh, they just need to say, let's get what we can for Sam Darnold and let's get ready to take Zach Wilson. And the worst-case scenario is the Jaguars take him and we'll have Trevor Lawrence. Here's a question for you, Mike. What's the market for Sam Darnold?
2: Is it the 49ers' second-round pick? Is it New Orleans' second and fourth I mean, what I I would I, I would think I would think that the market for Sam Darnold, uh, if if I were guessing, would be somewhere around
1: the thirty fifth to forty fifth pick in the draft this year. I don't disagree with that because what did the Cardinals get for Josh Rosen? They got a second round pick from the Miami Dolphins, and uh, Darnold at least has shown he can he can play. Can he play at a high level? Well, who knows? And look, maybe, maybe he'll shock us all, and he'll become a, a true franchise quarterback somewhere. But I think based on what we've seen so far, yeah, second-round pick seems fair. And see, then the question becomes, because there's, there's two windows for the Jets. One is move him now while teams are figuring out their plans. But the second window is for the teams whose plan is we're going to draft a guy, if they don't get the guy they want in round one... Then in that 18 hours you have between the end of round one and the start of round two, that's your opportunity to sell Sam Darnold for a second round pick. So I see those two spots. The Jets have to decide how they want to do it. You're exactly right. Anybody who would say
2: that, okay, the Jets have until Thursday night, April, whatever it is, 29, uh, you know, at 8 p.m. Eastern to make that trade. That's not true. They have till Friday night, uh, whatever, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Eastern, whatever time that is, uh, to make that pick. Because, I look, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I doubt that they're going to get a one for Sam Darnold, even a low one. And so, to me, I, I kind of look at it, Mike, like, you know, they have until about April 30th to make this decision. And I doubt they're going to wait that long because, clearly, uh, you know, if they do end up choosing Zach Wilson, then, you know, the auction for Sam Darnold is on.
1: You know, the problem with having too many options is you eventually got to make a decision. And for the Jets, the options are trade Sam Darnold and take Zach Wilson or see what kind of, of haul of picks and players someone will offer to come get Zach Wilson and keep Sam Darnold. And, uh, yeah, It's not going to be easy for the Jets, but if they decide they love Zach Wilson again, get your franchise quarterback while you can. And, and if for some reason Zach Wilson doesn't work out, I said the same thing about Sam Darnold three years ago. You'll be back in position before you know it to try to get another franchise quarterback at the top of the draft. The problem is you may have a new head coach and a new GM, but from an organizational standpoint, you'll be back and you'll have another shot. And now that Woody Johnson's back and Christopher Johnson is working with him, I'd like to think these guys understand the value of a true franchise quarterback to an organization and uh and let's not let's not overlook the reality that even though owners for the most part other than Jerry Jones desperately want to create the impression they don't meddle when it's time to make that kind of a pick they have a way peter of making their preferences known there's no there's no way that Joe
2: Douglas or, you know, George Payton or Scott Fitterer slash Matt Rule. There's no way that they're making a decision like that without the owner being involved. It's just just not going to happen. Now, is the owner going to dictate it? I don't believe so. I mean, in Carolina, maybe more than those other places. But, uh, you know, in my opinion, and in Denver, you have to look at the owner's representative, who's Joe Ellis. Um, but I really think that, that the owner in all three places or in, in any one of these places, for a franchise-altering decision like that, you've got to get the owner involved and explain to him why you're doing this. You do not make that decision in a vacuum.
1: Billionaire's privilege r- allows you to never have to dictate anything. All you have to say is, if you're Woody Johnson... I really like Zach Wilson. And if the people who you've hired to work for you are smart, they'll know what you're saying because you never have to dirty your hands with telling people exactly what they must do. If they're smart, they'll know from reading the boss what the boss wants.
2: Can I give you one one exception there? Okay. Do you remember in 1996, Mike, when uh, there's a new franchise in Baltimore and Art Modell is the owner? And he's given Ozzie Newsome the control of his draft room. And Art Modell says to him for days before this, I love Lawrence Phillips. We need a star. We need a running back. We need a great player. I love Lawrence Phillips. And Ozzie Newsom said, well, I appreciate that. But you've given me control over the draft. And I love Jonathan Ogden. And so even that day, Art Modell still wanted Lawrence Phillips. Ozzie Newsom picked Jonathan Ogden. And then later in the round, obviously, uh, he picked Ray Lewis. It's probably the greatest single round that a general manager, even though he didn't have that title at that point, that a, a, that a, a guy who ran a draft, uh, a, a, you could argue that that's the best round that a guy's ever had. you know. And he did it by going against the owner. But that was a different time and a different place because so often... People had to argue Art Model out of decisions because, as one longtime employee of the franchise once told me, the way art works is ready, fire, aim. Um, it, it, you know, so, so sometimes you had to do things to counter his base instincts, and most often those times turned out to be good for the franchise.
1: Well, and, and that's the key because if it hadn't and if Lawrence Phillips had become Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders or Walter Payton and Jonathan Ogden hadn't worked out, Art Modell never would have let Ozzie Newsom hear the end of it. And, you know, the flip side of that is the team that that became the Browns after the Browns became the Ravens, Jimmy Haslam and the Johnny Manziel thing from 2014, clearly a Jimmy Haslam pick that exploded in the franchise's face and uh, took them years to recover from. Although fortunately for them, they finally have Chicago bears trying to find a quarterback. Let's do this real quickly. Um, Ryan pace on the team's plan at the quarterback position, which for now seems to be wide open.
3: Right now for us, everything's on the table in regard to the quarterback situation. And, And honestly, that includes players on our current roster. That includes free agency, uh, trade, uh, the draft and, and a combination of all those. So uh, we have a, we have a plan in place, and now it's about uh, executing that plan.
1: Yeah, look, I, I don't know what they're ultimately going to do, and it doesn't seem like they have a lot of great options other than giving everything that the Seahawks want for Russell Wilson, which st- people are still stunned that Wilson put the Bears on his list of four teams. But uh, you know, Bears can go in a lot of different directions, and whatever whatever way they go, multiple jobs hinging on what the next quarterback of the bears becomes, Peter.
2: And look, this is this is a crucial year and because both jobs are on the line, the coaching job of uh, Matt Nagy and the GM job of Ryan Pace. And what I think is really interesting about the bears is that you know, you look at a team like Carolina picking 8th and the power that the 8th pick has this year versus where the Chicago Bears are picking, 20th. If the Bears want to get a quarterback this year, if they like one of those quarterbacks a lot in the draft this year, I mean, Mike, I I don't know how they move up without using next year's one. And if you're Bears ownership, Bears management, uh, I think you're really going to have to be convinced that trading next year's one is essential um, for not only this uh, current year, two, three of the Bears, but whoever's coaching the team well into the future, you know, the long-term interest of the Chicago Bears.
1: Well, and this is what comes up all the time when you have people who think that this may be it. Oh, giving up future draft picks? Yeah, sure, let's let's give them all up. Let's uh, we, we don't care. We need somebody who's going to help us now or we're not going to be here to not use those draft picks in the future. So you, you're right, and that's where... Like A guy like Team President Ted Phillips comes into play. Ownership comes into play. And uh, the Bears Bears have, I would say organizationally, more riding on what they do than anyone else. And their situation seems to be the most complicated because they don't have a good bird in the hand and they don't have an obvious path to a clear upgrade that's going to make the fan base happy other than giving the Seahawks everything they could possibly want. For Russell Wilson, and uh, we'll see if that ultimately transpires. Let's take a break. When we return, we'll play a game of which doesn't belong and why on this Friday edition of PFT Live.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters
3: We've been pretty consistent with our messaging around Baker that that we think he had a um, you know really strong season for us. We like the maturation and the growth both on and off the field, um, and we're looking forward to uh, him, to him continuing to take steps uh, his second year in the offense. Do you view what's happened with Carson Wentz and the Eagles as a cautionary tale as to your future dealings with your quarterback? You know, I don't know that it, with respect to anything that's happened. Um, you know, to any of the other 31 teams that that has a major bearing in terms of how we're going to, you know, address the quarterback situation here. Um, to me, we'll, we'll evaluate that internally and make the decision that we think is best for, you know, our team in our organization, uh, so I, you know, I think it would be a, maybe a stretch to say that that's going to serve as a, uh, a cautionary tale or a, or any type of, of, of proof for us. We'll, we'll make the best decision with that. That we think mm-hmm. will make the best decision for us with um, you know the information that we have.
1: That's Browns GM Andrew Berry talking about Baker Mayfield. Let's play a little Which Doesn't Belong and Why on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Peter, quarterbacks who got a vote of confidence this week, which doesn't belong and why? Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins.
0: Uh,
1: I would
2: say Baker Mayfield because he's the only one of the three that I think is going to play the next 10 years with his team.
1: Wow. 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 Uh, the, wow. Um, see, I'm not so sure of that. I'd say he's the one of the three that still has yet to prove he can get the kind of big money contract that the other two have gotten. And I do think Jared Goff and Carson Wentz are cautionary tales for paying a guy after only three years. I think the Browns should give it another year before they they decide that Baker Mayfield is the guy for the next 10 years. Because we're not that far removed from a 2019 When he was not very good at all, but he definitely was improved and very good in 2020. All right, NFC North franchise tag candidates, which doesn't belong and why? Bears receiver Allen Robinson, Lions receiver Kenny Galladay, Packers running back Aaron Jones. Man,
2: that is a really, really good one. I'm just going to uh I'm gonna throw a dart here and I'm gonna say Kenny Galladay. Uh, because I think there's a better chance that the other two guys get franchised uh, than Galladay, even though I think Galladay is a long-term, you know, if you've got two or three guys on the absolute top level of receivers, Galladay is on that secondary level with, I think he's going to
1: be great for a long time. I'm going to say Aaron Jones just because I think it would be a mistake for the Packers to invest, and we had the estimate earlier this week of $11.1 million, which seems high with the cap going down, but eight figures for one year with a running back i wouldn't do it there's too many other running backs out there as we discussed earlier in the program every round of the draft or undrafted that's a lot of money to plunk down and it basically makes it one more year with the guy because then he's got the leverage for the second year with a 20 percent raise over what he gets this year and then he becomes a free agent in 2022 afc north free agent pass rushers which doesn't belong in raw why ravens pass rusher matthew judon carl Austin of the bengals bud dupree of the steelers
2: Well, the only guy of those three who I think is probably gone from his team is Bud Dupree. Uh, My guess is that the other two guys are going to get signed either for one year or long term. The thing about Bud Dupree that's very interesting, at least in my mind, is that he's playing his best football in the first half of last season and then gets hurt and he's out for the year. Who is going to have the faith In a year of the declining cap to make him a, name it, a $15 million a year player. That's going to be the big challenge to create that kind of
1: market for Bud Dupree. Shereen Williams made a great point on PFTPM earlier this week. He may end up with the Steelers on a one-year deal just because no one is going to take that leap of faith he'll look around if the money's not out there stay in pittsburgh another year and then try to get paid again next year that's the great tragedy the franchise tag you don't get the generational wealth you get good money for one year you suffer a serious injury you never get the contract that you would have gotten if you had been a free agent I'm going to say Judon because I don't think the Ravens are going to tag him I don't think they're going to sign him I think they're just going to find another way too much money to tag him because they tagged him last year he gets a 20% bump veterans cut this week which doesn't belong and why Kyle Van Noy of the Dolphins Kyle Rudolph of the Vikings Jared Cook technically cut option not picked up tight end of the Saints, which doesn't belong and why.
2: Kyle Van Noy uh, cut by the Dolphins really, really surprised me. And the reason he gets cut is that they got this Van Ginkle guy who came out of nowhere last year and played very well. He made huge plays for that defense all year long so they could afford to let Van Noy go. But this sort of continues a trend with that organization. And it's been a lot of guys on the offensive coaching staff, but they've admitted mistakes on a lot of guys in Brian Flory's first two years, pl- two years plus. And, and so to me, I think you've got to start looking at this like, okay, let's be a little bit more cautious on who we're giving the guaranteed money to right out of the box.
1: I'd say Cook doesn't belong because he's clearly the best of the three. Now, he's streaky, and at times he disappears, but he's capable of being dominant, and I think he's a guy the Saints would have kept, but for this incredible cap problem that they have this year, and they are slashing everywhere they can to try to get on the right side of the spending limit, which is expected to be 182 to $183 million. All right, that's which doesn't belong and why. Let's take a break. When we return, a draft of players who hung around one year too long. More PFT lock right after this. Hockey Day in America coming up on Sunday. Four games. Sabres Islanders gets it started, and then it ends with Rangers-Penguins. NBC for the first game, NBCSN for the last three. Check it out on Sunday. All right. Players who hung around too long in the NFL, Peter. Trivia question. Which is higher, the number of times Brett Lorenzo Favre led the league in touchdown passes or interceptions? Interceptions. <laughs> Wait, which one is it? <laughs> okay, we <laughs> hit the wrong button. It's the womp walk I-, I thought the same thing. It's a trick question. I just assumed it was interceptions. Four times? He led in touchdowns three times. He led in interceptions. And, well, uh, the reason
2: why I said interceptions is, is is that why would you be asking the question if it wasn't interceptions?
1: That's the trick. <laughs> exactly. That's why I thought the same thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a setup, and it was yeah. a setup. All right. Yeah. Uh, it sets it up very well for Brett Favre because that's my first pick. that That last season, 2010, when I think it was Ryan Longwell, Jared Allen – and one other guy, Steve they Hutchinson. Went down to, Steve Hutchinson. They went down to. Mississippi Got on an airplane. Hogtied Brett Favre and brought him back to Minnesota. They should have left him in Mississippi. That season was. It was never going to live up to 2009. It was a disaster for him personally because that was that whole Jen Sturger thing that never would have come to light if he wouldn't have played that one more year and it just ended up being a very very regrettable season for Brett Favre ended his consecutive game streak had he got roughed up in New England that year bloodied and had hit the turf at TCF Bank Stadium it was just it was a bad bad exit for Brett Favre he should have just called it quits after that 2009 NFC championship loss to the Saints Peter i'm going to
2: give you a little dose of history with my first one but i'll stay with quarterbacks And that is Joe Namath in 1977 with the Los Angeles Rams. I think he only started four games when he went there, but look, his knee was ruined when he went to the Rams. uh, And it was a very, very ugly end for Broadway Joe. It was just very, very strange seeing him on the field, you know, out west, rather than seeing him on the crappy
1: turf of Shea Stadium. Similar context similar distance Baltimore to San Diego the last year for for Johnny Unitas not a good performance didn't play in many games and we've talked about this before on this program I still remember getting the football card of Johnny Unitas as a member of the Chargers where they basically took a Colts jersey and got like a felt tip pen and colored it to make it look like a chargers jersey. That's how jarring it was. And it just it just shouldn't have happened. Yeah.
2: Uh here's one though. I'll tell you one that shouldn't have happened. Franco Harris with the Seattle Seahawks.
1: Ooh, very I good. mean
2: I'll never forget watching watching Seahawks games that year. And you know how when the games were in the Kingdom, okay, and you would watch those games the lighting was always substandard. So it always looked like you were watching a game at the kingdom. And you say, "Well, somebody please turn the lights on? And here's Franco Harris, you know, with the same kind of uh, running style. I think he only ran it like 60 or 70 times that year. But running out of bounds on a bad team, on bad turf, in bad lighting. It was a bad
1: look, Mike. Do you remember when Franco Harris was approaching Jim Brown's all-time rushing record? Brown was talking about coming out of retirement, and they actually did this half-hour feats of strength show where they did like different, and they did a 40-yard dash, and Jim Brown pulled up with a hamstring injury just two steps out of it. Do you remember that? I don't remember it, but I I could see it. (laughs) Jim Brown was tormented by the possibility of Frank O'Hara's catching him because, obviously, Jim Brown walked away with plenty of gas left in the tank. Here's one that uh, uh, I got a couple more. Chris Carter had one final season with the Miami Dolphins, which was as forgettable a final season as anyone could ever have. And I just think it's stubbornness, and I I don't have a problem with it. Great athlete, Hall of Famer. Vikings were ready to move on. He wasn't. 2002 with the Dolphins, he had I think single-digit catches for the year. And I remember they played the Vikings that year. It was a nationally televised game, and it was just Carter standing on the sideline. It's like, why? But I think some guys need that. They need that closure. They need to understand that it's that the game's moved on. That they're no longer what they were. And uh, otherwise, you have that regret that never goes away. That I could have played one more year you did it and you realized no you couldn't and you shouldn't have done it.
2: I'm going to give you one that until I, you know, I knew we were going to do this segment and I started looking around, I had totally forgotten Thurman Thomas's last cup of coffee in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. Now, what was so weird about that, Mike? Okay, Joe Namath went to the Rams. That has no it, who who cares, not who cares, but you know that's that's across the country. It's in the other conference. All that Johnny Unitas goes to the Chargers. That's a thousand, three thousand miles away. But when when Thurman Thomas went to one of the arch rivals, of the Buffalo Bills, it was just very strange. It was almost like a vengeance signing. <laughs> and and when he signed there, it was clear that it was over because he had what a hundred or two hundred yards rushing. And then he just sort of faded away after that. That was really one of the weird ones that I felt uh, that you know just it just didn't fit at the time. But I think that's part of the reason why that Thurman Thomas probably wanted to do it. He wanted to say to the Bills, "See, somebody still wants me."
1: Last one for me, Chris Carter's former protege in Minnesota, Randy Moss. Now he had that weird 2010 season where he was with the Patriots. He started to complain publicly about how he didn't think he was going to get a new contract. They trade him to the Vikings for a third-round pick. After three games, Brad Childress calls him a programmatic non-fit, which I think is the only time in the history of civilization that term has been used, other than just now, and uh, cuts him. And then the Titans claim him on waivers, and he didn't do anything. And then he's out of football in 2011, and he comes back and plays for the 49ers in 2012 and almost wins a Super Bowl on a team to which he contributed very, very, very little, he just should have stayed out. He would have been in the Hall of Fame a year or two earlier. But uh, that that, and I'm, I'm I'm taking a liberty here, and I'm kind of wedging the end of 2010 onto it. But that last phase of Randy Moss's career was just very bizarre, Peter.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just add one little note in here, and it isn't about the last year a guy played; it's about the last year a guy didn't play. And I remember being in training camp with the Denver Broncos in one of Mike Shanahan's last years when Jerry Rice, I think he was 42 or maybe 43, was in training camp trying to win a job with the Denver Broncos. And I remember watching a practice one afternoon and I watched him being man covered by a free agent cornerback from Bowling Green. And on two snaps in a row, this guy clung to Jerry Rice, who was running as fast as he could to try to get away from this kid who was half his age. And a few days later, literally a few days later, the Broncos and Rice announced that either he was retiring or I forget what the announcement was, but it was it was jarring to see a free agent corner in the early days of training camp basically
1: winning battles with the great Jerry Rice. But...
2: Mike, it ends for all of them sooner or later.
1: And, and I'm not being critical, and we're not intending to, to throw shade at these guys. The, the, the topic is who stayed one year too long, but it's better to stay one year too long and find out than to constantly have that doubt that you could have done it. And I wonder if Drew Brees is going through that right now as we continue to wonder what his next move is. Is he thinking after seeing what Tom Brady did last year, I can do it one more year, and if I don't, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. You know, and I think you you were the first one to, to, to tell me this at some point over the past few years. The Brett Favre motivation to come back and keep going was the Phil Simms advice, and I know Chris and I have talked about it. Hey, keep playing until they rip the uniform off of you. Well, if you stink in your last year, they're going to rip the uniform off of you.
2: Yeah, and I think in Breeze's case is weird, Mike. Um, you know, recently somebody in, in New Orleans who I trust said, basically, there's nothing there. Don't worry about it, you know, in due time, basically. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just very strange now that we're almost two months removed from their last game, uh, whatever, seven, eight weeks, whatever it is. It's just pretty strange. But again, he played for a long time. I guess he
1: deserves the right to do whatever he wants, but it's just, it just seems strange to me. Yeah, I agree, though. He does have the right to decide how he's going to pull the plug on it. And if he wants to come back for another year, it, it makes things more interesting for us. I know that. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. I'll say this. I ran the New York Marathon in 1998, and for recovery after that, the prevailing thought was just fill the bathtub in your hotel room with tap water, cold tap water, not ice water, just cold tap water, and that was excruciating. I can't imagine climbing (laughs) into something that is 32 degrees. We're peeling back the layers of Mike Florio. I
2: now know that you are a marathoner.
1: Oh, God, you had to do that, Matt Casey. All right, that was, that was not quite a half marathon. That was the big race in my hometown. That's me and my dad, 1986 or 1987, out in front of his bar after I'd finished the race. Uh, that was a 12-miler, I think, but uh, 20K, so it's 12.4. Anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're almost out of time. Do we have the poll results real quickly on this roughing the passer thing? Can we throw them up? Peter, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. And I'm sure we will. People like replay review for roughing the passer. I think you should be able to review roughing
2: the passer. I believe in it. We'll see if it happens, and we'll talk about it in the future. Have a great weekend.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?